Hey everybody, it's Matt again. Before we get to this episode, I wanted to know three things. Number one, we recorded this episode a long time ago in what feels like a galaxy far, far away, December 2019. Two, we thought it might be good to post this now because our conversation is about the unique career path of an ICU doctor, and of course, doctors are more relevant than ever right now. And three, the doctor we interview is Dr. Quaguo Karamanteng, who is also our first guest on the Alumni Association's brand new COVID-19-themed podcast, The Line. It's a podcast all about how University of Alberta alumni are helping out on the front lines of the COVID-19 crisis. So give this one a listen, learn all about how bartending can help you in the ICU, and if you liked what you heard from Quadwo, check out The Line. Quadwo talks about the ICU and how they're prepping for the pandemic. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe. From the University of Alberta Alumni Association, it's What the Job. I'm Matt Ray. I've never wanted a nine to five predictable job. Like I just, I've always wanted something that kind of pushes you and that challenges you. And in the ICU, it's constant, you know, whether it's stabilizing a patient, whether it's communicating appropriately with family, constant challenges. This episode, The Doctor is In. Dr. Quadwo Karamantang joins the program live from the Ottawa Hospital, where he works as a critical and palliative care physician. Quad and I chat all about the stressful but rewarding life working in a hospital, what it's like to grind your way through med school, and how being a bartender made him a better doctor. What the Job is made possible with the support of our affinity partner, TD Insurance. Did you know that... Through the TD Insurance Mellish Monarchs program, University of Alberta alumni are entitled to preferred rates on car, home, condo, and renter's insurance. Save even more by bundling your car and home insurance. To learn more about how you can save, please visit tdinsurance.com slash alumni. So what's your name and what's your job? My name is Quadro Karamantang. I'm an intensive care and palliative care physician, and I also do some health services research. And today, where are you talking to us from? I am calling from the Ottawa Hospital Civic Campus. I just finished a couple of meetings, but I'm super stoked to be talking to you, Matt. We're super stoked to be talking to you as well, and using the magic of the internet for good. To talk uh, to talk to an alumni about uh, about his career path, magical. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so, can you tell me what's a day like for you? What's a day like in your job? Okay, so um, there's there's like two phases. So one is the I- ICU day, which is pretty crazy. So you you wake up early in the morning. I have three kids at home, so you try and see the family and, and give some love there and. And usually our day starts around 7.30 where we, we teach the residents and the medical students um, a topic in, in, in ICU. And then we, we see our, our sick patients and uh, we, we spend the most of the morning uh, evaluating them, making sure that they're stable. And if not, you know, spending the time needed to resuscitate them or, or stabilize our patients, you know, and the afternoon we'll be seeing Families, updating families, reassuring families, um, just making sure our communication piece is there. And then nighttime could be is could be quite crazy. So you could get anywhere from no consults to six consults. So you're up most of the time. You're up in the night trying to trying to you know 
stabilize patients, save some lives, and 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 um, you know um, do your job. And uh, it could be it could be pretty stressful, but it could also be quite exciting at the same time. So uh, that's the kind of the attraction to the ICU. The the second part is uh, I do a, I do palliative care as well, which for those that don't know is essentially taking care of patients near the end of life, and and that's a extremely rewarding part of my job too and that that day looks like you it's basically a consultant service where we see our you know our palliative patients and um throughout the day and just you know communicate with their family and and with the patients you know dealing with any pain and symptoms that they might have and and um um yeah no communicate and and uh, just make sure that they're they're comfortable and so how long is this kind of day? Well, like if you had to put it, it's, it doesn't sound like a nine to five. Yeah. So if I'm doing our, our, our hours are pretty stupid. Uh, <laughs> but if I'm in, if I'm in the ICU, I, you know, if I start on a Monday, usually you're on call that Monday as well. So then you, you know, and, and like I said, it's kind of unpredictable, but you are responsible for patients probably from about seven thirty in the morning uh, till about four o'clock the following day and uh, the cycle restarts um, on the Wednesday. So it's, the hours are pretty intense, but luckily we have a lot of time off. So like I only work about 16 weeks a year related to intensive care. And um, the rest of the time you recuperate and, and do your, what I call, or we, what we call academic duties. Whereas like I do a lot of research and so a day like today is a day full of meetings, day uh, trying to navigate through a couple research projects and, and grants. And so, you know, it's um, not much time for rest, though. So it's not all just like an episode of Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> you know, I was talking about that with a buddy the other day. I'm like, we do not have anywhere near as much drama as I see on this Grey's. You know what I mean? Like, people aren't doing nookie in the call rooms and, <laughs> And, uh, you know, you know, um, you know, having affairs with their supervisors. I'm not seeing that in my world, but um, the, the one similarity is that there is a lot of sick patients that come through and, and you know, it's it can be quite taxing, you know, tr doing your best to try and make sure that, you know, they get through, you know, and, and communicating with families and. And all that, do, like trying to do a good job, could be quite, um, could, could be quite taxing. What was it that led you to get into ICU and palliative care? Yeah, good question. I, you know, from a, an early age, I, I, I thought I was going to be a doc. I've always kind of wanted to be a doc, and if you ask my parents, for whatever reason, I thought I was going to be a plastic surgeon, and. <laughs> Then I thought I was going to be a, a pediatrician. I think I was watching too much Cosby Show. Um, <laughs> but the the intensive care, what what drew me to it is you never know what's coming through the door. Like it's it's literally you got to be on your toes. And I've always been a fan of of I've never wanted a nine to five predictable job. Like I just I've always wanted something that kind of pushes you and that challenges you and in the ICU, it's constant, you know, whether it's stabilizing a patient, whether it's communicating appropriately with family, whether it's, you know, the relationships you build with your team, 
Like it's constant challenges and it's, and it's so much fun. I got to tell you, like, I am very fortunate to have the job that I, I do and it's for sure tiring and, and it, you know, you, most of us tap out at, at a certain age, but I am so grateful for it. And then the palliative care piece, I kind of stumbled on that accidentally. Like the intensive care job market is, is, is a hard job to come by. And so we, you always needed a, almost like a second piece to make you yourself more marketable. And, and one of the preceptors I had in, in palliative care, I saw the amazing impact he had on patients and, and family. And I'm like, I want to be that guy. I want to be like John Seeley. And the, you, you, like a lot of people, when they hear about palliative care, they're like, how can you do this? Like, how can you be with patients, seeing patients die all day? And, you know, the way I look at it is I, they're dying regardless whether I'm there or not. And if I could have a small piece in making that death less painful or making the experience less painful for the family, that is, that is a, a win as far as I'm concerned. And some of the most precious moments I've had as a, as a doc has been in those moments sitting, sitting with a family member at the end of life. And they talk about how, you know, grandpa Norman was, you know, the the joys that he had in life, how much he loved golfing or how much if he was in the room, he'd be laughing at how at the conversation right now. It's, and those special moments you have near the end are so um, so moving, and it's and it honestly can feel like a privilege to be part of that with a family member. And so that 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 hooked me in, and and uh, that's essentially why I, I've gotten to both jobs. It sounds like there's interesting and different dynamics to both. I'm curious because you talked about how you thought maybe you always wanted to be a doc. And what did you think it was going to be like? And what is it actually like? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's a great point. Um, I think, and I, I'm being fairly candid here, I, I thought, you know, uh, I was, you would achieve a lot more connection with, with families and, and, and patients. And I found... Um, in real life, the time constraints that you have, like you, you have so little time in a day to get everything done. I, I, you probably don't have as much of those. Um, I'm not. You, you don't connect as often as 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 I, I would like or as I pictured. Sometimes you just need to go. Like when you got 12 patients in the ICU, and and a couple of them are are very unstable. They take up most of your day. You don't have that time in the as much time as you'd like to to meet and discuss things with the other family members in the ICU, and I, I think that that part I I I probably wasn't anticipating as well. Um, the other part that I, I found challenging too is there's a bit of um, there's a bit of distrust in the air when it comes to you know dealing with dealing with physicians like. You know, you see more in the media, they're villainized a bit more. Like in uh, in Ontario, they just released our, the Toronto Star just released everyone's, you can look up every doc's salary now with their app. And I'm like, what, what's the point you're trying to make it right now? Like, what are you trying to get at? You know what I mean? Because 
I'll tell you, most of us got in this game not because of the cake, but to, to actually help people. You know what I mean? And for us to be, you know, stepped on and, and villainized, I, I, it, I won't lie. Like, it hurts a bit, you know, when you, you put in so much time and so much effort and you put your, your soul into your job and, you know, you get drop kicked in the chest on a fairly regular basis. Um, that part I wasn't ready for. Well, and then let's talk about the process it takes to even get to that cake. I mean, it's not like you, uh, you know, you just finish university from a, a bachelor of science or whatever, and then mm. start making whatever money uh, a doctor in ICU might might make. What's the process for, you know, becoming a doctor? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll talk for the U of A experience. So, you know, you do your undergrad and you, you know, as of when I was going through, you could get in as early as two years of undergrad. And that certainly wasn't me. Um, and so you do your undergrad, you do four years of medical school, then you get into residency. So depending on what residency you get into. So, for example, family medicine is two years and basically everything after that, everything aside from that is about five years. Plus, you do additional training, like uh, what we call a fellowship, especially if you want to work in an academic job or if you want to work in a in some of these specialties that are super competitive right now. Like, say, if you're an orthopedic surgeon, um, you would probably do your five years of residency, do a two-year fellowship in, say, joints like a shoulder or ankle, do another year in trauma. Plus or minus, have worked out a, a, a master's of of some sort at that point, and hopefully you get a job after that. So that's that's about eight years after medical school, and so as you can imagine, you know, during that all those years, you you know, your four years of medical school, you're not making money. At the residency level, you're making minimal. I think you'll see quotes of like eight dollars an hour or something like that on average. Um, and so you inquire a lot of, incur, sorry, a lot of debt. And so, you know, um, and, you know, I, we've alluded to the hours. The hours, especially as a trainee, are, are pretty intense. And so you've had a lot of years dedicated to your, your craft and um, that's not well compensated. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a long journey. And, um, but in my humble opinion, it's still worth it. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, med school, but I'm also curious about your journey. Was it? It sounds like you always wanted to be a doc, and now you're a doc. Do you think that's a fair assessment, or do you think it's more complicated than that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you know from a bird's eye view, for sure, that's that's fair. But it was, you know, I, it was a long road for myself, like from where I am now, and it's, um, if if I may. It's, like I, I did four years of undergrad. I, I took two years to get into med school after undergrad. So I, I, you know, um, between degrees, actually, I, I don't know if it's an appropriate time to talk about it, but I got to do some pretty cool stuff, travel. And I was a bartender at the Druid, <laughs> and, uh, Sweet 69, and we had a, an amazing time. But I'll, maybe I'll mention that later on. Um yeah, it was tough to get into med to, into medical school. Um, you know, then you'd get into residency, and then 
I knew I wanted to get into intensive care, but that was also very competitive. So you got to show you that you're worth it. And then after, you know, finishing my ICU training, I, there was no jobs. And so I ended up working in Belleville, Ontario, AKA Belle Vegas. I know uh, Belleville. For the, you my, know Belle Vegas? My wife came from near Barrie. So. Oh, stop traffic. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. I actually, I love I still love that crew out in Bell Vegas. If anyone's listening, shout out to you guys, man. Super caring crew in that intensive care unit, man. Um, and then I, I ended up working in Sault Ste. Marie for a year. Um, once again, because there was minimal jobs. The and then soup. three, yeah, in the soup. And then three years after training, I finally landed what I'll call my, my dream job at the Ottawa Hospital and um, and doing what I do now. And I also... I uh, worked at uh, Montfort Hospital as well. I do that as well. Got those jobs about simultaneously. And then in the meantime, I forgot to mention too, I also did a master's degree. I started a master's degree to just make myself more attractive to be able to get an intensive care job. So I got a master's in health administration, um, which uh, has led me to take on some leadership positions and, and also uh, luckily... Um, uh, help me uh, develop my research program and and so on. It sounds like a a, a grind, a difficult journey. Were there points where you were like, "I'm gonna give this up and just, you know, I'm gonna go back to the druid or maybe something else"? Like, <laughs> did you ever think like, "Wow, this is too much," or "I'm never gonna make it," or were you just always driven towards this goal? Uh, I can't honestly, Matt. I can't count how many times where I was like, "What the." F, am I doing? Why am I doing this? It would, and am I going to get to that goal? And you know, whether it was, you know, that extra year, extra couple years between degrees, and struggling through that, and upgrading cl- courses, and asking yourself, is it worth it? You know, whether it was being on call at five in the morning, you're up all night. It's five in the morning, and that pager goes off, and you're so tired, and you're just like, I just want. 45 minutes of sleep you know what i mean is this really worth it this eight dollars i'm making right now is this worth this grind you know what i'm saying and um you know those moments the the times where i couldn't find a, an intensive care job and and deciding to do a master's degree and spend time away from your family being in sault Ste. marie and and belleville i'm like is this worth it you know what i mean i'm trying to raise a family and um, you got to spend this time away from home, you know, is even honestly today, you know, like I'm, I'm going to be working. I work Christmas and new year's this year. And, you know, I got three young ones, as I mentioned, and, you know, dad's not going to be there when they're opening their presents. Cause you know, they're, he's got to make sure that, you know, people are safe and, you know, you ask yourself, is, is it worth it? And, um, I could say now, as you know, taking a step back, definitely it was worth it. It's shaped me into the guy I am now, which I hope is a good guy. But, um, you know, getting answering your question directly, there have been so many times where I've questioned whether this is what this is worth it. And, um, you know, luckily I have a, a super amazing supportive wife, Kathy, Kathy Karamantang, aka Kathy Ogilvie, um, aka Mommy. Um, that was, oh, I, without her, I don't know if I would 
be in the same spot because she's the one that you know was always willing to lend that ear when when you're like man why are we doing this you know and she she helped me always get in the right path so I, you, when you described going through med school and you described all the tough times and you talked about how you know your wife was there to support you and but it's still tough and it's still a challenge I was just wondering what kind of advice you had for people who either, A, maybe they're going through med school themselves and they're wondering, is this worth it? Is this something I should do? Or if they're in any sort of job or career path and they're thinking about the kind of, they really have a goal that they want to get to, what can they do to get through the hard times? Yeah. You know, it's it's a great question, Matt. And I think what has always helped me in these in these tougher times is always have the end in mind. You know what I mean? Like think of where, like what is going to be the end of result? What's going to be the end result of this grind? You know what I'm saying? Like, are you going to be able to achieve your goals as a result of this? So like for me, sorry, there's just an announcement. Real work issues coming up in the podcast. (laughs) Bam. Yeah. Um, But you know, like for, in my example, I, you know, knowing that you'd be in a position that you're going to be able to help people, you're going to be able to be challenged in life, uh, you're going to be able to achieve your goals, you know, going through those times where it feels like it's impossible, just having that clear vision of where life is going to end as a result, you know, I think that helps. Second is just really to have that support structure, whether it's your fellow classmates, because you know what, like, that med student that's going through that grind and that tough time, they're not isolated. A bunch of your other group members or your other classmates are going through the same same tough time. So to be able to to have that uh, network and to be able to be open about how you're feeling and why this is a tough time, I think that also helps out uh, quite a bit. But really just having that clear vision where you want to be, where you want to end up, knowing that, you know, these obstacles are all part of the game and, you know, and not to be so cheesy and to say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, but these obstacles though, they really do have a purpose. You know, like you, when you get through that 36 hour call shift and you get through it and you can look at yourself in the mirror and and be like, I did good that day. You know, I really did good, some good stuff today that, that sticks with you, you know, and that makes you, that makes you stronger for the next time where it is, you know, you're on your 26th hour or whatever. And you'd be like, you know what? I got, I could do this. I've done it before. I could do it again. You know? So I hope that answers the question. I think but, so. um, yeah, I think it's, a, it is so important to reflect on the work that you do and the, the value you put into it. But also I think, you know, to see you beyond just your own work, but, um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, and people have lots of goals and there's lots of ways to to uh, work towards them. But I think also definitely building your community, realizing your community, finding your community. Those are those are so important as well. Yeah. Um, and and, you know, and be willing to be a bit vulnerable, man. Like, you know, I it's I, I can't say this easily because, you know, I, I still think I'm part of the generation that was like, you know, I, tough enough, buttercup, just go through it. But. You know, to be able to open up to your colleagues and and let them know what's tough right now has has a lot of value. You know, and um, and I think this is something that's being more accepted more and more 
you know, like in our world, we're seeing more burnout. The value of being open and, and, and really letting people know about your struggles, I think, is, is too important. Well, and likewise, I, you know, I went through grad school, I did a PhD, and it's also a grind. But I'm curious about med school and the idea that sometimes you get so deep into this, and you maybe you decide you don't like it, you hate this, and you mm-hmm. don't you don't actually want to do it for a living. But it mm-hmm. it's hard to get into your brain that it's okay to, to quit, it's okay to go do something else and to try to figure out that you yeah. know what, the things that I'm passionate about, I can find elsewhere. And that, that I think yeah. is, a, is a tough, anybody who's doing an advanced degree, I think that's a tough thing to reckon with. That, yeah. I, I, sorry, Matt, to cut you, cut you off there, but it's a great point because you, I mean, you get to where you, you get to by being, you know, comp- I don't know what, type A, competitive, you know, whatever the word is, not a quitter or whatever, but you got to listen to yourself. You know what's going to make you happy. You know what what's important to you because you know, if you decide halfway that really medicine isn't for you, what's the point? Like, what kind of doctor are you going to be at the end of that? At the end of that, you know what I'm saying? And you know, the things that you've learned throughout that that journey, like, will will help you in whatever field that you end up going into in the future. You yeah. know what I mean? So, I, I mean, I, I I think it's a fair point. Yeah, and I mean. Likewise, I think you should realize you have value beyond whatever your profession is. So, um, the other thing I mean, can I say one thing too? Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. sorry. No, go. The other, say thing, one. The, the other thing too, just because you know there'll be some med students and, and residents that listen to this, is like because medicine does kind of kill your your soul a little bit. You know what I mean? Um, and so I, I think the point you just made about this you know, making sure that your profession doesn't define you is so important, so important because you, you, you get consumed in this shit. Sorry, my friend, you get consumed in this. Okay. I can, I can cuss out. Yeah. Cause like you're literally spending your life in the hospital. You're surrounded in your, your circle of friends becomes the people that you work with and all this stuff. So you lose yourself. You, You lose your, creativity you lose the kind of things that have helped define you before medicine so somehow all the trainees in there hang on to that you're a musician keep playing you know what i mean you you love that you love that improv comedy keep 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 jamming man keep doing it like you like that artistic side embrace it it's gonna make you into a better doc just don't lose it because it's um it really is uh hard to keep up Mm. I like the point too that it'll make you better at your job if you maintain your sense of who you are. Absolutely. I mean, like anytime you could be more authentic in general, Matt, like you're 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 winning. Mm-hmm. I agree. Honestly. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk quickly about some of the skills that are involved in, in working the job that you work. And I'm really curious how being a bartender has helped you be a doctor. Yes. <laughs> you know, I never get that question, Matt. And I, but I, I tell everybody, I often tell people how valuable it is. Um, so to your first questions, the, the important, the, um, the skills that you need. Um, so definitely, I think maybe it's not an absolute need, but you need to be personable, in my opinion. You, you need to be able to have that uh, emotional intelligence. You need to be able to read people. 
you need to read their body language to be able to communicate and to provide the care that they need. You know what I mean? Is a patient telling you everything they need to tell you? Is there more to the story? You know, you need to be able to read that off of people. Second, you really need to be able to unfortunately compartmentalize at times. Like one, at one minute, I could be telling uh, uh, a mother of three that their, you know, their their husband's going to die that day and that she's going to become a widow and she has three young kids and, and that's going to be her reality as of the end of this day. And the next minute, I got to go and try and salvage somebody else's life and be focused. You know what I'm saying? I can't be dwelling on what I just said, how I, you know, my message has just destroyed that, that, that family. I can't be dwelling on that when I'm, uh, uh, resuscitating somebody. Otherwise I can't do my job. Well, yes, you can reflect on what you did and whatnot, but not, you know, it's hard. You can't be doing it directly in the moment, like soon after the moment has happened just because other patients need you. Um, you need to be, this is not a necessarily every doc has this skill set, but in my opinion, you need to be organizing your thinking. You know, you there's so many uh, parts of the job that are going to cloud your judgment, cloud your decision making. And so uh, do you have a structure to your decision? Do you have a, a structure on how you're going to approach patients with, with, with similar problems so that you could be consistent and not let bias and other factors influence your decision making? Um, you need to be like, handle stress you know what i mean like i can promise you nobody thinks better when they're wound up you know what i mean and there have been times where i've i've been resuscitating a patient and i'm literally in my in the moment i'm like i do not know what to do next and if i can't figure out something now this patient's gonna die and then you take a deep breath you ask around people in the room and then it comes to you you'd be like okay let's do this Let's do X, Y, Z. Um, I could go on about this, but I'll answer your, your bartending question. What the bartending has helped is definitely reading people. Like I can tell if someone's stressed, uh, happy, creased from a mile away as a result <laughs> of uh, bartending. It's helped me also be more organized in, in my approach to problems. Because, um, you know, if you get, you know, it's a Saturday night at the Druid, the, the, the Wells Street you know, three, three people deep, three lines deep, you need to be thinking ahead. You mean like you need to be on the ball. Um, so, you know, that's helped me in that way. But I'm, I'm just kind of interested, like I'm always interested in how you develop skills. Like would you recommend to people before they do a residence or before they do med school or whatever that they have other kinds of jobs or other kinds of like volunteer activities or something to build those skills that may not come other, in other ways? I, I personally, you're going to hear different, differing opinions, but I can't, it was so valuable. It was, it was so valuable in, in like for me, myself, like just getting a, a step away from just academic life and being all about books and all about marks and, and just being, being with people and just, and just being able to meet some amazing people that are like friends to, to this day that have come to our wedding or we've been to their weddings. Um, and you learn so much outside of medicine, to be honest with you, like whether it is volunteering, whether it is um, any other job, 
there's always something that you could you could gain from each one of these uh, tasks. So I I I always encourage you know if you got a chance to do some real life stuff, do it. It's going to make you a, a more well-rounded uh, clinician for sure. Oh, that's awesome. All right, we're going to go on to the lightning round, which is sponsored by our affinity partner TD Insurance. So it's uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> you seriously you seriously are you seriously getting love from T D insurance? Yeah, they're our affinity partners. I had at the start of the show too. So uh, Oh snap. Anyway, the way the lightning round works is I'm just gonna ask you a series of questions and you just go with whatever comes to you first. Some of them are fact based, so hopefully they're fact. First one is always, have you ever been fired? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh yeah. I think mean, I think I was fired from McDonald's. I don't know how PC this is to say, but I'm saying it. Um, I was, they wanted us. To, I was getting tipped every once in a while, and they wanted me to put the tips in the, in the, or to to give them back or whatever. And I was like, Nah, man, <laughs> I worked hard for these tips. You pay me four dollars and fifty cents an hour. I'm keeping this bad boy. So, so yeah, I've been fired for real. Anybody who's been fired from McDonald's can now claim <laughs> that they might go on to be a doctor. It's possible. <laughs> So oh my god! You mentioned when you were a kid, you wanted to grow up to be a doctor. Was it, were there any other professions you thought you might be? Oh man, I wanted to, well, I wanted to be in the show for real. I wanted to be in the NHL, uh, but I wasn't a very big kid, and I wasn't that good. But uh, that was definitely in the like a dream. And then uh, I was also thinking about uh, business related stuff, so I ended up doing an uh, econ minor. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely it was always medicine. Yeah, definitely hockey was in the mix. What's something that you wish people knew about your job? I, I think people have no idea how emotionally draining it could be to most of the day tell people that their loved one might not survive or deal with the stress of trying to maintain life. Um, and then also the, a piece that we didn't talk about, but there's also the the family dynamic of they're asking for care that is unlikely to be beneficial. I think there's some moral distress that happens with our job too. What do you think you'd be doing if it wasn't this job or this career? If it wasn't this career, you know, honestly, I think something that um, harnesses a bit of creativity, like I, I think, honestly, I'd probably end up doing something business-related or, you know, um, you know. I think I was telling you before we started a podcast about a couple months ago and, and, and how rewarding it's been to be able to do what you're doing and talking to some pretty cool cats about, uh, you know, making our healthcare system better. I think something along those lines where, you know, you get to enhance that creativity and, there's, you know, your job isn't always super predictable, I think – that would I would be doing something along those lines. What's the podcast called? The podcast is called Solving Healthcare, aka the Quadcast. Um, <laughs> Yo, a little plug. And I, yeah, yeah, I sound exactly like that on the on the show too. But it's it's a show basically looking at how we could make our healthcare system more sustainable. So you know, we talk about anything from you know um, taking care of patients that aren't getting um, patient, we talk about issues such as the opioid crisis 
and how best to navigate through that. And we also talk about how uh, overparenting is is destroying our kids. That was another issue that we did. Um, so it's it's tons of topics related to healthcare, but how we basically can make it more sustainable and and make our patients better. Oh, excellent. Sounds like a great podcast. And this has been a great podcast episode. I want to thank you so much for giving your time. Absolutely. I, it's a, it's a, honestly, it's a privilege to do this. You're doing a great job. Like I said uh, before, I, I really enjoy um, my favorite one so far is the one with Racky. <laughs> and uh, shout out to Racky out there doing her thing, MLA member, killing it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, uh, I really appreciate you having me on the show. Big thanks to Dr. Cameron Tang for taking time out of his busy day to chat about his career journey. And as always, a reminder to you that the best place for alumni to connect with other alumni about jobs, mentorship, or volunteer opportunities is the online platform Switchboard. Try it for free at uab.ca slash sboard. It's a great tool no matter where you are in your career journey. That's it for this episode. For What the Job, I'm Matt Ray. Thanks for listening.